I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. As we're approaching this, we go to the book of Job in the Old Testament. There was a time when I would preach anything from this book that I knew that the hearers had some understanding of the background. That's because most of us grew up in church in those days. And so whenever we'd get to the story of Job, we would automatically know that it was one of tragedy, one of sickness and disease, one of uh, poverty, one of pain, the most painful book in the Bible. But now when we come to Job, people don't have that understanding of the background, so it takes a little more time to explain it. Job is the oldest book in the Bible, although it's in the middle of the Old Testament. It's older than the book of Genesis, and it talks about a time when there, of course, was no Bible. Job had no pastor, no teacher. There were no biblical principles, no Ten Commandments, no Old and New Testament. There was nothing but man's instinct with God. And yet Job, according to God, was a perfect man and an upright man. And those are God's words concerning Job. When you read the Bible, you see that there was a discussion held between God and the devil. And God himself recommended Job to Satan. God pointed him out. And he said to Satan, have you even thought about, considered my servant Job? And Satan answered, In effect, well, yes, but the benefit package you have him on, he'd be a waste of my time. So God said to him, go ahead and try him. And Satan said, if you pull the hedge back and let me in, I can make him curse you to your face. Satan told the truth in the Bible, in the word of God one time, and it was that time. He said, you have a hedge around Job. That is true. God has a hedge around all of his children. The hedge of God is the will of God. Would you say that, please? The hedge of God is the, yes, we are protected as long as we are between the hedges. As long as I'm in the hedges, I'm divinely protected. When I get outside of the hedges, I get in disobedience. And Satan has the right to attack me. As long as I'm inside the hedges and Satan tries to attack me, it takes nothing but a rebuke on my part and he's dismissed. But when I step outside of the will of God, when I step into disobedience, when I begin to do those things that the devil Uh, uh, has in mind or that the devil leads me to do, then I'm in a place where I can be attacked. So he does have a hedge around us. When we talk about Job, Job lost everything. Now, he was the wealthiest man of the time. He was a man that had tremendous property. He had a great family, a wife and 10 children. Job lived a great life, but the devil moved in. When we get to this point in the story, you will remember he lost everything. He lost all of his wealth. He lost everything that he thought was dear and close to him. 
all 10 of his children were killed the same day at a party. And his wife had a change of attitude. Rather than be supportive, she said to him, you know, why don't you just curse God and die? His health has gone down the drain. He is covered with boils from the top of his head to the tips of his toes. I don't know if you know anything about boils. I've suffered with them. Can you imagine boils all over your body? You can't sit down because of boils. You can't lay down because of boils. You can't stand up because of boils. He was in constant pain with the white pus of the boils seeping through and causing even his clothing to stick to his body. Job is almost dead. He has gone through everything that a person can go through at the hands of Satan. Now, we know from that background, from our understanding of Job, what Job went through in terms of God and Satan. But what was his part in this whole tragedy? There is, listen to me, there is always an earthly side to a story. No matter what the will of God is, there is always an earthly side to a story. You say, well, my life fell apart. You know, where was God in that? But your life falling apart may be necessary in order for you to move to what God really has for you. Sometimes we get so attached with what we have until we don't want what God has offered. The Bible said when the Israelites were going en route to the promised land, they got to one spot that they just loved. And they came to Moses and said, you know, we don't want to go to the promised land. The grass is nice here. All of our cattle have grass. The water is clean and pure. It's a level land. It's not hilly. It's not bad temperature. We'd rather settle here. And in life, we like to settle and not go after God's best. Well, in Job's case... What did he do? What mistake did he make that became the precursor to what happened to him in life? You say, well, Job didn't do anything. He was perfect and upright. Oh, he made a mistake. He made a mistake. You said, but Job was living the right kind of life before God. God said he's perfect. God said he's upright. God said I trust him. But he did something wrong. It's in chapter 3 and verse 25. Chapter 3, verse 25 of the book of Job. If you have a Bible or an electronic device, you want to find Job 3.25. And in that one verse, we find out what he did wrong. Here's what he said. For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. And what I dreaded has happened to me. Job lived in fear of losing his enterprises, of losing his family, and of losing his health. He said, the thing that I greatly feared, reach over, touch somebody, and tell them, don't live in fear. Now reach to the other side or in front of you or behind you if there's another person and say to them, listen, don't live in fear. 
what Job feared is what happened to him. You know why? Because fear and faith are the same thing. Fear is faith turned backwards. And both fear and faith have the same magnetism. Fear and faith operate the same way. There's not a person in this room that would disagree with me if I say that faith brings good things to us. Faith brings us to good things in life. Fear operates the same way. Faith is of God. Fear is of the devil. And because fear is of the devil, fear copies faith. You see, one of the things the devil does as a matter of tool of deception, he duplicates or copies everything that God does. Remember when Moses went to Pharaoh to say, let my people go? Remember Moses threw his rod down? Anybody remember the story? And Moses' rod, when it hit the floor, turned to a what? Well, what did Pharaoh do? Did he run? Did he hide? Did he scream? Was he fascinated over the fact that God had that kind of power? He called in his magicians and said, throw your rods down, boys. And when they threw their rods down, they, with evil power, duplicated what God did. I wish I had a witness. The devil copies God. The devil does whatever God does. You have people that say, well, I speak in tongues. Guess what? The devil has people who speak in tongues. You say, well, we worship God here at Carver, and there are churches of Satan all over the world. The first church of Satan, formerly in San Francisco, California, carried thousands of members that gathered every Saturday night and did the exact same type of worship service that we do here on Sunday morning. The devil copies God in order to deceive you into thinking that he's God. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in Matthew, in the last days, in these days, deceivers will wax worse and worse. Deception is worse and worse. So sure, you've got bishops and you've got preachers and you, you've got pastors and you've got teachers, but look at what the devil does. He had Jim Jones. He had David Koresh. He had Marshall Applewhite. He has people who teach holding a Bible in their hand, walk back and forth in front of a large group of people and read the same Bible that we read for the Word of God and then twist it and bend it in their favor. The devil copies God. But remember something about that incident at Pharaoh's house. When Moses threw his down, it was just one rod that became one snake. The magicians threw theirs down and the untold number of magicians there, all of their rods turned to snakes. <clears throat> they had more snakes than Moses, but keep watching. Moses' snake crawled around and swallowed all of the devil's snakes. You see, you can't stop the devil from doing evil. You can't stop him from behaving in a way that would contradict God. But God always prevails. 
He always wins. So faith is of God, fear is of the devil. Now fear is the likelihood of something unwelcome happening. Listen, Job believed for disaster. Is that you? Are you afraid of losing your job? Are you afraid of losing your health? Do you go around telling people, you know, I'm just, I'm, you know, my mama had cancer. My, my, my auntie had it. I'm, I'm just afraid that I'm going to get cancer too. Because we learn from this that fear attracts. I wish I had a witness. You know, the truth is that when you get blessed, you have to be careful that you praise God for the blessing and not go around afraid that you're going to lose it. You know, blessings can cause stress because when you get shown enough blessed, you have the tendency to wonder, is this real? Can I really keep this? Is this really mine? I know I don't deserve it. Must be a setup. And in so many cases, God blesses or wants to bless his people, but they won't step up and receive it. Here's the problem in church. We are taught to believe, but we're not taught how to receive. And there is a way to receive just like there's a way to believe. You have to know how to receive. For example, if it's your birthday, and someone that you don't know very well, or maybe someone you know well, says to you, for your birthday, I'm giving you a $25,000 cash gift. What's the first thing that would occur to you if you don't know them very well? What's attached? What are you going to do that for? Why, why would you be doing that? Ah, here you go. What you want from me? You see, big blessings are hard for us to receive. Now, if there's someone give you $25, that's all right. You can handle that. That's cool. $25,000? When you tell your friend, your cousin, your brother, your sister, your mama, your daddy, you said, Pastor Eunice Pickens says she's going to give me $25,000 in cash for my birthday. They're going to say, say what? And you know that ain't nothing but a lie. I believe it when I see it. Why? Because blessings are hard to receive. But it's hard to receive because in church we are never taught how to receive blessings. See, what we've got to realize is whatever good thing you get, it comes from your father. So it's really not yours anyway. I wish I had a witness. And the truth is, whatever I get, I have to praise God for it. I can't praise myself. I can't let myself be lifted up in pride. I can't let my head get big because all that I get anyway comes from God. Whether it's 25 or 25,000, it all came from the same place. And sometimes God will test your praise by giving you small stuff to see how well you receive it. And if you praise him for small things, how many know he'll bring you into big things? The truth is you ought to shout just as big over $25 as you do over 25000 
because the blessing is the blessing and God is God. And the God I serve can do the same thing with $25 as he can with $25,000. I don't have a witness here. But if you got just two fish and five loaves of bread, you can feed a whole city. If God puts his hand on it. So it's not how much. It's something wrong when we want to testify in church about how big a blessing was. The truth is that breath you just took came from God. Your abilities to walk in this room on your own came from God. You made it through last night, laying in your bed more dead than alive. Thieves and robbers, crooks and vagabonds were riding up and down your street. And God kept you safe through the night. When you got up this morning, you owed him a praise for that. I wish I had a witness here. That you could even sleep last night with all the problems, all the pressures, all the stress, all the things that could bother you. God let you sleep and get rest. Your praise trigger ought to be sensitive. You know, you know, when it comes to guns and weapons, they say, uh-uh, watch it. That gun has a hair trigger. That means it'll just go off at the touch of the trigger. That's the way your praise ought to be. When I walk in the house of God and somebody said, praise the Lord, I'm on fire right then. When I hear the choir sing or the music play or the drum hit, a, I, I'm on fire right then. You ain't got to work it up for me. Just say Jesus and the party is on. I wish I had a witness. Now listen, Job was afraid. A wealthy man said once that I grew up poor, very, very poor, dirt poor. And now I have all that I have, but I work so hard to keep it because I'm afraid of going back to where I was. Are you afraid of being unemployed again? It was two years before you got a job last time. That was hard. You borrowed all you could, spent all your savings. That was, you don't ever want to go back there anymore. Remember that sick spell you had? You were in the hospital and it didn't look good a couple of days. You don't ever want to do that anymore. Remember that divorce? It was nasty. And remember what you found out that led to that divorce? Somebody made a fool out of you like that? Are you afraid of going back? Fear can attract trouble. I ain't got a witness in this house. See, Job had it made. Job is the dude we all want to be. He had everything in every place. He had everything right. You know, I hear them on the television, I know you do, talking about the president now in the White House. And they say, oh, he walks through the halls at night. Oh, he goes from TV to TV. Oh, he's tweeting all night long, can't sleep. Well, now look, what if you were him with the money he's got in a job that he wasn't intending to get. And having all the strife, people pulling this way, that way, up and down, you couldn't sleep at night either. 
There is the fear of losing everything. And sure enough, one day, somebody say one day. It always happens on a day you're not expecting it. One day, on a regular doctor's appointment, you get news you weren't prepared for. One day, they walk in where you work and say there's a major layoff going on and they point at you as one of the group. One day, one day your family's gone. One day. We have to not live in fear. Now there are three mindsets that destroy life. The first is shame. Would you say shame? You cannot live a full life if you're living in shame. You have to be able to interact with people. You have to be able to conduct your business without shame. Shame is a tool of the devil that keeps us from making progress. The first appearance of shame that you see is in the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve fell and God came looking for them, they were hiding behind the trees, wearing fig leaves, because Adam said, we're ashamed. When you're ashamed, you hide. You have something to offer, but you don't want people to know it. You hide. When you're ashamed, God will call you and you won't answer. I don't want to preach. I don't want to sing. I don't want to teach. I don't want to do anything. I just want to come to church, sit down, and get up and go home. Shame. Shame. What are you shame? Well, my deeds, my, my, my lifestyle, well, well, mistakes I made. Well, I, I, I'm hiding because I don't want to be picked on. The Bible said that Adam and Eve were ashamed because they were naked. Now, naked is not nudity. They're not ashamed of each other's bodies. You know, I remember when I was a, uh, a child in Sunday school, and you know how children can talk and be mischievous. And one of my friends in Sunday school, this came up, and he asked the Sunday school teacher, said, I want to know when, when God come in the garden looking for Adam and Eve and they were naked, did they come out of the bushes? Well, Adam and Eve was not in the bushes. No, when it said they were naked, it does, it's not talking about nudity. You see, they were clothed in the image of God. They were clothed in the glory of God. Come on, Bible readers. The Bible said when God made man, he said, let us make him in our image and our. Have you ever looked at a person and said, now, you know, you bear a likeness to Mr. Cole. They look like Alfred. Now, a likeness means you look like somebody else. Huh? Come on now. Adam and Eve look like God. Image, what is an image? An image is when you look at yourself in the mirror or when a picture is taken of you and you look at the picture and say, ooh, I don't like that picture, that, that ain't me. Oh yeah, that's you. They may have caught your head at a bad angle, may have caught your mouth open, may have caught your eyes closed, but that's still you. Now, image means they look like God. Likeness means they look like God. When they sin, they stop looking like God. And they put on fig leaves and hid. But see, Adam is not ashamed 
of seeing of Eve seeing him naked. That's not what that's about. They had already done that, been there, done that. No. Adam is ashamed of himself in front of Eve. Let me try it again. Adam don't look like Adam anymore. He is ashamed of himself in front of her. He's ashamed. He is, here's your word, you, you like better, embarrassed that he doesn't look like God anymore. He's not the big man anymore. He's not God's son anymore that walked up and down the earth and named all the animals and the fish and the fowls. He, he's not her hero anymore. He's not her champion anymore. He's, he's not Mr. Macho anymore. Instead, he is whipped, beaten, and defeated. And no man likes to look that way in front of his woman. A man wants his woman to come up and squeeze the muscles on his arm and rub his chest and his six-pack and say, oh my. I tell him, I got a six-pack. It's under my stomach, but I sure got one. Say shame. You can't serve God in shame. I can't preach to you in shame. I have to approach the word of God with the confidence, not that I can preach, but that God will use me to preach. It's not about me, it's about God. If I say anything, if I preach good, don't look at me, look at the God who sent me. Because if you leave here talking about how good I do, then I've totally missed my assignment. My assignment is not to draw you to praise me, it's to draw you in to praise God. When you leave church, you ought not be talking about how good the choir is, how good the preacher is. It ought to be how good God is. Because the choir sang about a good God. The pastor preached about a good God. Shame. Shame. I don't want them to laugh at me. I'm shame. Shame of my, my weight. I'm, I'm too skinny. I'm... I'm Shame of my size. I'm too large. I'm, 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 I'm shame of my, my hair. I, I'm shame. But the next thing that destroys life is doubt. When Peter's walking on the water, he goes, he's, go, he's going to Jesus, but he, he thought about the wind being boisterous, the noise. And the Bible said, he looked, now check this out, the, he is actually walking on the water. Can you say that? Peter is what? See, no, see, he is on top of the water. He didn't go down when he got out of the boat. But the Bible said he stopped looking at Jesus eye to eye, and he started looking at the storm. And when you take your eyes off the Savior and put them on the storm, you're going down. He doubted. But here's the third one, fear. Fear destroys life. And Job lived in fear. Now, all of these start, and this is interesting, that all of these start as a thought, but they can become a spirit. Uh, shame is a thought. How many times have I come into a place to preach 
and I thought maybe I'm not prepared or my suit is not right or my voice is not right, I'm hoarse. That's shame. That was a thought. Now, if I live right there, it becomes a spirit and I won't get up and do anything well. Or if I doubt that God will use me, I won't do anything well. Or if I'm afraid. So, well, now we're going to hear from Reverend Sherman Young. And I said, mm, I'm not coming. Why? Well, I, I'm just scared. I, I don't know what might happen. Fear. What is a spirit? A spirit is an attitude. A spirit is a response. A spirit is a mindset. A spirit is a stance. When we talk about spirits, we're not talking about demons here. We're talking about you move from the thought of being afraid to a spirit of fear that envelops your life. See, it's human to be afraid. We're going to be afraid. Some of y'all are afraid to go across a bridge. Some of you are afraid to fly. I don't have a witness here. Some of you are afraid to uh, change jobs. You've been on this one a long time. Some of you are afraid to put any money in investments. You're just afraid. But listen, there's a difference in the thought and the attitude of fear. What does the Bible say? God has not given us the spirit of fear. You see, there's a spirit of fear that comes if we don't deal with the thought of being afraid. It evolves into a spirit. And therefore, we have to understand what we say determines what appears before us. But what we don't say will let things that we should not have last too long. If I say, if I believe, the Bible says I can receive. But sometimes I need to say to what is, be gone, or it will stay too long. When you talk about fear, the works of fear, number one, is the refusal to trust God or the truth of God's word. Amen. The refusal, everybody please say the refusal. the refusal. Say it again please, the what? Ah, one, a third time. It is the what? Re I refuse to trust the word of God. It's not that I haven't heard it. It's not that I haven't read it. It's that I'm afraid to try it. I wish I had some folk who don't pay tithes to say amen right there. Because if God's word says... You pay the tithe, I'll open the window of heaven. I'll pour out a blessing. You won't have room to receive. Do you trust that? Or are you afraid of that? Do you trust that? Or do you say, oh, I got to pay my, who going to pay my lights? Who going to pay my car note? Who going to pay my mortgage? You see, if it's fear, you refuse to trust it. Amen. It's not that you didn't hear it. It's that you made a decision. Listen at, listen at the idol worship in this. I got to look out for myself. I thought that's what God was supposed to be doing. I refuse to trust that. I refuse. 
I know the Bible says forgive, but you don't know what that Negro did to me. God, here, here we go. Here's his refusal. God, give me five senses. Well, let's see. What is it? Seeing, tasting, touching, hearing, and smelling. Now, is thinking in there anywhere? It refuses to trust God. Lord, I know what you said, but you ain't smart enough to run my life. I got this. I'll see you at church on Sunday. But Monday morning through Saturday night, I got this. I refuse to trust you. Lord, I refuse to trust you because some folk at church let me down. No, no. Lord, I refuse to trust you because a preacher got caught at the hotel. Lord, I refuse to trust you because I really don't have enough information on the Bible. I'm afraid. But here's the other thing about fear. It recognizes the problem but doesn't see God. Fear sees the mess I'm in, but it doesn't see God as a solution to the mess. Fear says, God helps those who help themselves. Which means I got to get out here and do it, and hopefully God will take a liking to me and show up. That's the work of fear. How do you destroy fear? I'm glad you asked. Listen, don't stay in fear because fear will kill you. Fear can cause problems in the physical body. Fear can cause, I mean, heart trouble. For all we know, Job got sick because of his fears. You have to destroy fear before it destroys you. I wish I had a witness. First of all, we got to study faith and develop it. We need to know as God's people what faith is, and then we need to develop that faith that we have. Can I say this to you? We all started at the same starting line. Not a person in this room had any more faith in the beginning of this journey than the other person. Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to a mountain, be moved, and it would move. And it doesn't take that much faith to be saved. In order to be saved, the Bible said, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you shall be saved, right? When we started out on our Christian journey, we all had the same measure of faith. Nobody in this room had any more faith the night you were born again or the day you got saved than anybody else. The trouble is some people don't develop their faith. And after 20 years or 10 years or 30 years, their faith is still the same size it was when they got saved that day. Other people studied faith, developed faith, strengthened their faith, matured in their faith. Don't get mad at them because they're doing well. Don't be jealous of them because they're doing well. They put the work in in order to let their faith work for them. You got to study faith and develop it. The greatest, I'm through, the greatest power in the world is faith. And faith is not of man, it comes from God. 
And that's why if you've got 100 people accepting Jesus one night, God gives all 100 of them the same exact measure to get started. Well, next of all, you have to force your circumstances to shrink or stretch your faith. Job had problems, didn't he? Why do we have problems? Because our problems will either shrink our faith or stretch our faith. Are you still in the room? Did everybody leave? Your problems will either shrink your faith or stretch your faith. The problems that you have can increase your faith. Listen, uh, challenges are for faith. Faith is for challenges. Why do I need faith? Because of my challenges. Why do I need challenges? To exercise my faith. I don't have a witness here. Remember a few minutes ago when I was talking about my biceps, triceps, my chest, and my six-pack? Remember when I was talking about that? Every person in this room got biceps, triceps, and muscles in all those places. Right? What's the difference in one guy who's an athlete and another guy that just drinks a 12-pack a day and sits on the couch? They both got the same muscles, but what's the difference? No workout. What is a Christian workout? Challenges, trials, troubles, tribulations, situations, circumstances that you don't like but you'll never grow without them. I wish I had some help here. Honey, all the singing and waving your hands and popping, jumping around in the sanctuary won't stretch your faith. You may know every song that every gospel artist ever wrote. When you're going down the road singing in your car with the radio on, you got it on Hallelujah FM and you know every song. But singing won't build your faith. I don't have a witness in this room. See, that's what we set ourselves up. We think we're so spiritual because we know 59 gospel songs. Then when trouble comes, we don't even know the prayer of faith. We don't even know how to respond to sickness or trouble or disaster. We think we are holy because we only listen to Hallelujah FM. No. You got to force. Everybody please say force. Uh-uh, say force. Let's try this. Repeat this after me. I force my sickness to serve the Lord. I force my financial problems to serve the Lord. I force my aches and pains to serve the Lord. I'm through, I'm through, I'm through. I don't stay home from church cause my head is hurting. I bring my hurting head to the house of God. And I shout all the while my head is hurting. Cause if, you, if, if the headache has decided to ride with me, it's going to have to praise God when I praise God. I don't stay away from home because I got money trouble. I bring my broke self right to the house of God. 
And while I'm broke, I shout and give him glory because I force my circumstances to say hallelujah anyhow. Can anybody say hallelujah anyhow? Don't you hate a person that only comes around you when you're doing well? But then when they hear you got problems, you don't hear from them? Matter of fact, the only time they come around you is so they can bum off of you. Or they want to go to lunch because they know you're going to pay for it. I don't have a witness. Don't you despise a person like that? Well, God is the same way. God don't want me hanging around him because my life is going good. He wants me to hang around him at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. There's three kinds of faith. I said there's three kinds of faith. I said there's three kinds of faith. There is a yet faith. Remember what Job said while he was sick? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now he didn't say God would kill him, but he said if God decides to kill me, he's gonna kill me trusting him. He's going to kill me praising him. He's going to kill me rejoicing in him. Is there anybody got a yet praise? Though he slay me, yet though my bills are due, yet all my bills are due. Baby need a new pair of shoes, yet Sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down, yet they laid me off on the job last week, yet the doctor says it's incurable, yet my credit is messed up. My cash flow is low, yet I will trust in the Lord. I wish I had some help here. I said there's a yet faith. But not only is there a yet faith, there's a but if not faith. Somebody said but if not. Uh-uh, said but if not. Remember the three Hebrews were getting thrown in the fiery furnace. And they said, King, you do what you want to do. We serve a living God who is able to deliver us. But if not, we still won't bow to your idol God. Yes, he's able. If he don't show up before the grace period ends, but if he don't heal me before the day of the operation, but if I don't see my way out, 
I'm not going to change. My faith is sure in the living God. <laughs> Somebody said, but. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Said, but. You know, we got a church now that only wants to praise God when he comes through. Honey, you ain't got to wait till the battle is over. You can shout right now. You ain't got to wait till the breakthrough comes through. Your praise is a down payment on your deliverance. Went to buy a car. Went to buy a car. Say, what you gonna trade in? I said, nothing. You paying cash? I said, oh no. So well, how you gonna get the car? I'm gonna give you a down payment. And you trust me for the rest. When you praise the Lord, that's a down payment. I don't know what tomorrow holds but I don't already put something down on it I don't know when the breakthrough's gonna come through well Bishop how you know it's coming cause I done put something down on it I put a hallelujah down on it I put a dance down on it I put a hand clap down on it I put a shout down on it. But there's one more. There's one more praise. There's a yet faith. There's a but if not faith. But then there's a even now faith. Somebody say even now. Come on, let's go home now. Say even now. Lazarus is dead. He's been dead four days. Mary first, then Martha comes out the house. Lord, if you have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But then I heard Martha say, but we know that even now, whatever you say, it's gonna be all right. You gotta have an even now, an even now faith that whatever you say I know it's going to be alright I said even now I said even now the road is rough but even now my load is heavy but even now my way is dark but even now you know what I love about Jesus? It's never too late for the Lord. He never shows up too late. And I want to tell you like the old folk used to say, he may not come when you call him, but he's always coming. 